Hey, before we get started, I wanted to let you know that the Theater Marketing Lab's All Access Pass is live. And you know what? Joining Theater Marketing Lab is totally not complicated this year. You pay $5.99 a month. You can cancel anytime. And the cool thing about the lab this year is it's a self-serve library platform where you can access hours of video trainings, workshops, guides, audio content. You can listen to every episode of the podcast there as well. You know, listeners, I say it all the time. Nothing changes faster than marketing best practices. So it's really important, especially as we head into the fall season, that we stay on top of what's going on in marketing and what's working and what's not, especially in our theater industry. So what I'd love you to do after this podcast, or if you're at your computer, why not just do it right now? Head over to julienemmets.com and sign on up for the Theater Marketing Lab. I will see you inside. We are in a bit of a golden age of plays right now. There's so many incredible works and the depth of just what can be programmed and is out there and available is really, really remarkable. But like every theater is in this impossible moment right now where they're trying to find the most perfect pieces that each one of them have to serve so many different purposes and plans and goals. And we're sometimes putting such weight on each piece of it to just knock it out of the park every single time because we're all coming back and we're all trying to figure out how to do it and audiences are trying to figure out how to come back too. We're all kind of working on this together. I'm Julie Nemitz, former for-profit marketing executive to Fortune 500 brands turned evangelist for marketing excellence and innovation in live theater. This is in the green room. It wasn't long ago that I was racking up frequent flyer miles, traveling the country, leading digital media and marketing for some of the world's top brands. And I was exhausted. Worse yet, I felt utterly empty. It was then I had an aha moment. I can take all of that I learned over the last 15 years climbing the corporate ladder in for-profit marketing, making billions for those top brands, mind you, and use it for good to help my true passion, the theater, thrive in this brave new digital world. Fast forward through a pandemic and lessons learned, and you'll see a happy me today leading regional and community theaters to grow with marketing innovations, strategies, and kicking content. If you're a theater maker feeling overwhelmed by the lightning pace of marketing changes, lack the confidence or resources to implement new marketing tactics, or just want to find support to create a theater that makes an impact in your community, you are in the right place. Now grab some coffee and a cardboard cup and let's get on with the show. Well, we have two powerhouse women, Colleen McCormick and Jennifer Isaacson from Broadway Licensing joining me today. And I could not be more excited to share their wisdom and insights with you in this episode. Colleen and Jennifer, welcome to In the Green Room. Thank you so much for being here. 
Thanks for having us, Julie. We're so excited. Yay. Now, before we dig into the glories of play selection, programming, and I my, I try, I try to mine all the wisdom I possibly can from you both, I have to take a moment and share some of your accomplishments. Colleen is the Director of Professional Play Licensing at Broadway Licensing, and her former role as a producer includes, um, get ready, The Lion King, Aladdin, Frozen, Newsies, Peter and the Starcatcher, Shakespeare in Love, Beauty and the Beast, Mary Poppins, Aida, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Freaky Friday. Whew. Yes. Uh, found, she's also a founding member of Women of Broadway and is produced for Maestro Music and Parent Artists Advocacy League. And there's more. Colleen is also the Chief Operating Officer of Broadway Sinfonetta. Sinfonetta? Am I yep, pronouncing it there we go, which is an all-female identifying majority women of color orchestral collective. Jennifer is the director of amateur licensing at Broadway Licensing, and she also has incredible producer credits in her former role as co-producing of theater. Are you ready for those? Okay, Moulin Rouge, An American in Paris, Hedwig and the Angry Inch starring Neil Patrick Harris, Of Mice and Men starring Chris O'Dowd, very handsome, and the Ann Richards play starring Holland Taylor, The Norman Conquests, and I'm not done, The Mountaintop, La Cage Faux, and A Little Night Music. She is also the co-founder of the Broadway Women's Alliance, which is a not-for-profit not supporting, connecting, and empowering women on the business side of Broadway. So ladies, first of all, kudos to both of you for having such an integral part of, of, of all of our theater experiences over the past several years. Great. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You bet. So again, we could probably talk for a solid day about your producing experiences, your nonprofit projects, but we have to leave that for our next conversation because today we're talking about an important topic. So many theaters are planning their 23-24 seasons, and I dare say a good number are still planning and finalizing their 22-23 season. I'm really excited to talk with you both and leaning in on your expertise in the licensing and play assessment process. For both of you, there's, there is an atmosphere out there of, well, let's stick to what works um, by some theaters and by some others there, you know, some of the artistic teams are feeling a little bit less than stimulated artistically, you know, coming back from COVID coming back from the pandemic, from the pause in theater, you know, has really had an impact on how theaters are returning. Colleen, do you have thoughts? Sure. Yeah, I can talk to that. I mean, first off season planning is like my favorite time of year. It's so exciting because I think we are in a bit of a golden age of plays right now. There's so many incredible works and the depth of just what can be programmed and is out there and available is really, really remarkable. But like every theater is in this impossible moment right now where they're trying to find the most perfect pieces that each one of them have to serve so many different purposes and plans and goals. And we're sometimes putting such weight on each piece of it to just knock it out of the park every single time because we're all coming back and we're all trying to figure out how to do it and audiences are trying to figure out how to come back too we're all kind of working on this together um, but i really am excited for theaters to really lean into what 
audiences are, are looking for and sometimes even give them the benefit of the doubt a little bit. If, if you're going to present something really great and something that you really love, the audiences will see that and will feel that and will be gravitating towards that. I mean, we're going to talk about probably a couple different plays, too, of that we were really excited about. But I think leading with the passion is, is a great, great place to start. Of putting out plays that you love and showing why you love them, whether it's in your artwork or your press or your marketing materials. What is exciting about this piece? What is this piece talking about? What is this piece addressing? What is, is this piece talking directly to the community around you? Is it talking to a community that maybe hasn't been felt sort of all completely welcome in your space before? You know, are we hating the whole community? Or are you hitting segments of your community with this piece and then maybe another segment with the next show that you do to follow it up? I mean, how do we look at our tiny little advocacy hats too and, and get as many people in your local community to say, you are welcome. We are excited to have you here. We're excited for you to experience what is unique about theater and the fact that it's live, that you can't get it on Netflix. You can't get that experience. Um, and, and come on in. We're, we're excited to have you. I would say that's the trust factor, right? With COVID, you know, we didn't necessarily have to, we didn't lose trust, but we have to regain their enthusiasm. And so I think that that's also, you know, as the theaters that were able to come back in 22 uh, and were able to have a full season, they're in the mindset of, yes, they want it. everything you just said, Colleen, they want that, that we want to be able to um, know that our audiences trust us and that we can put forth topics and insight conversation that broadens everyone's experiences. Jennifer, did you have anything else to add to that topic? Yeah, you know, that's interesting because on the non-pro side, I've heard all of the things that Colleen has, has highlighted, but then I've also heard that people, um, some of these leaders want to to feel like their audiences can experience joy coming back as well to the, the theatrical experience and kind of leaning into that live experience and leaning into the joy of theater. And sometimes there can be a perception that hitting all the right buttons or, or finding a work that kind of hits everything that's needed might be a heavier work or might be something that could be a heavier lift, lift for an audience, maybe a little bit harder to get those audiences excited and engaged. And so what I really like to do is find work that does have a lot of diversity of voice to it that also has joy and also has something that's exciting, that's easy, it makes it easier to market um, a lot of times and, and kind of leaning into that, that joyous experience because that's why we all love theater. We wanna go, we wanna have that collective cathartic experience um, and then kind of leaning into that can be so helpful uh, as well from a marketing perspective. Very true. And you brought up the word marketing. So that means I need to bump on that one. Uh, it is so important that if you wear a marketing hat at your theater, that you have a seat at the table of your play selection, your artistic committees, that you are in those conversations, because at the end of the day, it's the marketing team that's responsible, you know, in, in large part for the success of a run. Um, obviously, we're working to make the very best theater we possibly can. Uh, but it's important that marketing is there for these conversations, right? Right? that they're understanding the thought behind a lot of the decisions that artistic directors and artistic committees are making. So true. You know, it's funny. We sometimes use the term comfort food almost as a bad thing, but I think in some ways it's kind of a really delightful thing. I mean, there's a reason why we like comfort. <laughs> um, and, you know, and that doesn't always mean the, the safe thing that you've done 17 times over. You know, one of our most popular plays that we have is Clue. 
and play, the most brilliant playwright, Sandy Rustin, took what people loved from the movie from the 80s, took what people loved sort of about the mystery of the board game and kind of put it together in this joyous, hilarious, but a little bit of thriller, a little bit of whodunit piece that feels like you've already seen it, but at the same time feels new and exciting simultaneously. So there's ways that you can program sort of maybe you start your season with something that's a little bit more well-known, a little bit more inviting, and then maybe the second piece after people are like, all right, I'm into this habit again. I remember why I love this so much. Maybe that's the piece that you push them slightly out of their comfort zone and kind of build your season accordingly. And as we all kind of, we're all going up this mountain together. Absolutely. It's a mountain, but it's scalable. Uh, let's take like one step back for a second, because I do want to make sure that those that are listening, you know, I would love them to know more about Broadway licensing. Perhaps, you know, you are one of the largest licensing companies today, but I maybe you can give some background about the company. Uh, you know, what makes it unique? You know, what, what your point of view and perspective is in play licensing? Um, so Broadway licensing was founded five years ago by Sean Sircone. Um, he's a person who ran a theater, worked in licensing, did basically every hat you could in within the theatrical community. And he basically looked and said, you know, how, how do we innovate? How do we change and grow and make this space really exciting? So he started with a couple different shows. Uh, here, we acquired uh, Drums Play Service, so it's DPS, mm -hmm. which was kind of a really pivotal moment for the company because what was exciting about Broadway licensing was it always was almost run like a tech company, right? It's the newest way to do things, the most efficient way of using technology. They launched Broadway on Demand, which is a streaming platform, and it's always been kind of really exciting and, and innovative. Um, where you have Jonas Play Service, you have this incredible catalog all dating back to 1936. The company is put together by George S. Kaufman. So it's got your Tennessee Williams plays. It's got your Arthur Miller plays. It's got all of your Pulitzer plays, all the way up to uh, Jackie Sidney's Drew's Fairview. Um, and really, really exciting, like this most seminal work that we think of over the last 70 years. And what's exciting for us to be here now is we kind of get the best of both worlds. We have the, you know, what can a, a, a really new company that is, tech-based as its sort of core function, um, what can it accomplish while also keeping the wisdom and the, the gravitas that DPS has built over all these years. So within those cattle, and also the, the deep, deep reach into schools and educational markets that PlayScripts has always hit. So between those sort of three benchmarks, um, we look at our mission is really being the, the caretakers and shepherders of these pieces that have been what we think of the American theater, but also how do we meet the, tech, the challenges that are happening right now? I mean, it's, as you looked at our bios, Jen and I both come from a producing world, and it's something that's so important to our CEO is that we all approach it from a producing perspective, as producing partners with all of the theaters who, who do our work. Like what a different perspective you bring to, uh, you know, community and reg small regional theaters. You have that skill set and that vocabulary to help do what we're talking about today, which is give theaters and theater makers the right tools to describe and promote 
their season. I do have to do a shout out to a friend of the podcast and a friend of the Theater Marketing Academy, Traylon Dollar, <laughs> who is your vice president of licensing. He's been a dear friend of the of the podcast uh, going through those beginning months of Broadway on Demand when all the theaters were desperately trying to get content online. So those are memories stored right here in the front of my mind. So shout out to Traylon. Jennifer, do you have any thoughts about like what I was saying earlier? You know, do you have any suggestions or uh, techniques that you help theater makers, executive directors, artistic directors use? Do you have suggestions on how they can help promote that internally with the theater team? Yeah, you know, I think that's a great question. I mean, I think it's it's kind of a little bit to what Colleen said in terms of how you build your season, right? And engaging your audience. Um, I think a big thing that I'm noticing right now in a lot of my conversations is how to bring in not only your existing audience, but even expanding beyond that and bringing in new audience. And I know we don't want to get too far into the conversation of only leaning on name brand recognition titles, but I think it always helps. Oh, yeah. And we know that always there isn't always the Venn diagram between uh, name recognition and new titles and new works isn't a large Venn diagram. It's kind of slim. But uh, I, I do think that programming some of those titles in your season, whether it be Clue or play, uh, The Play That Goes Wrong is another great one. Um, we also have Misery, which is another kind of main brand uh, title, which is based on the, the uh, Stephen King novel adapted from the 1990 film um, and kind of has that spooky mystery thriller fan hook to it, mm -hmm. can get people excited and back into the theater. And then you can kind of have that conversation with them for the works that might be a little... Uh, lesser known, might be a little bit more of a heavier lift, um, but it, it is a challenging conversation. And I think it's it's all about building that trust and building that interest from the theaters. And so thinking of it, not thinking show by show, because um, that's such a different perspective than like the the producing backgrounds that Colleen and I came from, we were always show by show. And it was very much what's on Broadway and what star can you put in a show? And that's just not the situation for theaters across the country. So instead you're trying to build your voice as a theater company, um, you know, whether regionally or on the, you know, community theater level, and it's, what is your voice? And I think if you can identify what your voice is as a company and, and market that and really communicate that to your audience members and communicate that to your community, then you can kind of build that trust and build a relationship. And I think always thinking about relationship building because you don't want them to just buy one ticket to one show and then they never come back again. You're trying to build an audience that's right. going to come back again and again. And so building that voice and really identifying who you are as a company and kind of staying true to that can be very helpful just from a marketing perspective. Oh, absolutely. Even adding on what Jen said, you know, I was at the Theater Communications Group conference last yeah. And one of the really interesting takeaways when I heard from theaters all across the country is, you know, we've all been through a lot in the last two years. And a lot of these theaters are sort of wrapping their brains around how do we become a, a pillar in our community, even beyond the shows that we do. You know, some theaters are like, do we, we have this big open space. Is there any way that that space can be utilized when we might not be in it? If there's a dark day or if there's a couple of times in the morning, you know, some theaters were using it as even like um, one theater in Pittsburgh was using their theater as a staging ground for the local soup kitchen because they just needed storage space and a way to come in. And they were saying, you know, in beyond just this coming to see the shows, getting people 
friendly with the building and coming in and coming in with the staff and kind of finding those ways to really be a part of your community and how that fits in. And then sort of the businessy part falls along with that, right? If they're in the space, if they get to know who you are, if they get to know where, what you stand for, what you represent, what you can accomplish and do, they're like, sure, I want to check out what you want to, what you have to say and what you want to show and what joy you have to, to show on your stage. And especially to what Jen was saying of like bringing in those other audiences who might not, not have occurred to them before COVID to come see a show. It's saying like, yeah, you're welcome too. Come on in. And I think some of these marketing things are, we can even go beyond just what the show itself is saying of what is the theater saying as an institution. Oh my gosh, you just hit on one of my passion points. I believe so strongly and firmly that when theaters realize that they are a brand and a brand has a, a mission statement, it has a way that it works in the world, the better and stronger they will be at building audiences. And when you strengthen the brand and you strengthen your outreach in the community, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, those things were kind of cool. It was nice to kind of know if your theater was a did dramatic works, but subscriptions were probably pretty strong and single ticket sales were steady and improving. More entertainment came on the, the, on the stage and when there were more options for people to do and when the internet really blew up and became a huge part of our lives, those things became a lot harder to achieve. And branding and community engagement are two of the big topics we're talking about all year long this year. And so I am thrilled that you brought that up. And from your perspective, uh, it's, it's absolutely right on. Here's an interesting question that sort of dovetails into something you said earlier. Certainly the theaters that I work with and the theaters I hear from on a regular basis are intentionally trying to broaden their reach and adapting like stronger measures towards diversity and inclusion. You know, there was a, there was, a, there was the big wake up call, the big the big moment when theaters across the country, I don't care if they were regional theaters or they were community theaters in large cities and small cities, realized that there were inequities that have been happening for decades. And I'm curious, you know, what are your points of view on that? And what kind of materials are coming to the forefront that you think theaters would be really interested in? I think we have the gorgeous fortune of the plays that we represent. Um, we have some of the most fantastic pieces written by BIPOC artists that have been written. And we are so proud to represent them. And we're so proud to work with our artists and how they want their work presented. Um, one piece in particular, I'd say Chicken and Biscuits by Douglas Lyons. Um, Chicken and Biscuits was on Broadway last year. It's a play about a family that has, uh, it takes place at a funeral, but it's the hilarious, silly things that come up whenever extended families get together and maybe haven't always worked out all the things, but it's, it's a rollicking comedy and it, at its core is joy and fun. Um, and Douglas is, our playwright is extremely invested in this piece and always open to work with theaters too about how to talk about the show, how to present the show, how to be a resource for theaters. And it's just so much fun. And we're finding, you know, we've just had our first couple licenses because it's a brand, brand new piece. And audiences are hysterical. Part of it selling itself. The word of mouth comes up. So exciting. And so many of the theaters have people, again, that we were talking about, like, didn't occur to them to come to that theater before. Never thought that they were welcome in that space. And it's drawing all these beautiful audiences that are coming in and expanding 
who is welcome in any different space and who's who gets to see themselves up on stage and who gets to see themselves directing and and sort of are those quote unquote behind the camera roles you know those those designers those directors that you're bringing in who are those folks too who can talk specifics to to the stories yeah and that's that's available now for licensing or it's coming it up is. It, it is it is available both in the professional market and the non-professional market oh. um it's just so much fun <laughs> oh that's interesting it's released at the same time to both mm -hmm. yeah oh, we're trying yeah. to roll out you know for a lot of our newer acquisitions we're trying to roll them out as quickly as possible to the market because we know that there's a lot of demand on the pro side there's demand on the non-pro side and sometimes it can be a little challenging for our community theaters, when they really want to get their hands on a new acquisition, they really want to produce it, but it's all locked up and restricted. Um, so we're starting to, for some of our, our titles now, if, as long as there's not a pro restriction in the area, then we're willing, uh, if the playwright's willing, to go ahead and release it on the non-pro side. Like, why hold it back? Because we want to get things as quickly to the marketplace as possible. And I think that's kind of one of the points that sets Broadway licensing apart from some other organizations is, Getting, getting the play to market as quickly as possible. Because when a title is hot, a title is hot. And we want to get it to these theaters so that they can kind of capture the magic, capture um, the moment from having this play that was on Broadway or got some award recognition and get it out uh, to their audiences as quickly as possible. Jen, is that title by title? Is, is it consideration by title by title or is that a general rule now? At it's title by title because you know, okay. have to kind of have, it's an kind of ongoing conversation with, um, you know, the playwrights and kind of as we're bringing in these new acquisitions. So it is title by title, but it's something that we're definitely pushing for because we see a lot of success with that, that approach. Um, yeah, for both sides. And, and I would always say, even if you're you're not unsure, always ask us. I mean, we'll get into like how to reach us for Jen and I. Our offices are right next door to each other. We talk all day long, and we're constantly looking. Hey, I've gotten this request in from this area. Is there anything going on in that space? Can we? And if there is any way possible that we can make it happen, we will want to make it happen. I mean, that's where it comes. Where we try to be the best producing partners that we can. Because at the end of the day, it's good for the theaters and it's good for our artists. And we, the, every, everyone wants to have productions happen. So we try everything that we can to make productions happen. Well, the democratization of access is is a big thing. And I think that's a point of difference for Broadway licensing. That's certainly not something we hear all the time. So I'm thrilled to hear that that's something that's on your agenda and something that you are discussing with the playwrights. That's great. And I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, as this new generation of playwrights comes to the forefront, uh, they definitely have a different perspective. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel that modern playwrights are feeling like their work is a little bit less precious in that they, that their goal and their dream is to get it out there and to get it performed and get it to the masses. So uh, having that kind of goal at uh, Broadway licensing to, to figure out how to uh, bring availability directly to all theaters is, is a huge win, huge win. Um, I, I want to almost elevate the community theaters and the incredible work that that even down to, to schools do and right. say that we bring those up. We we don't want to discount how wonderful audiences are and the fantastic art that's created on that level. I mean, I've worked for many years on titles that are built specifically for schools and I came up through a community theater. You know, I did my first show when I was four years old because my parents were in it and they got dragged down to rehearsals. And that is why I'm in theater today. I think we all have, every one of us who's and somewhere in this industry has a story like that, that <laughs> many theaters are what 
creator foundation. And I think we honor what that work is. And I think playwrights are excited for to bring them up to the really most seminal pieces that are happening today. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's well, 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 t- well, a point well taken. Absolutely. I have to ask you though, what was the show? I, it was sound and music. <laughs> oh, I had the same situation in mind was Oliver. <laughs> so we all had that. Mom, Mom and dad are in the show. You got to be in it too. Cause I don't want a babysitter. <laughs> yeah, we also did Fiorello the same way. We were two very tiny immigrants who got dragged around the stage. <laughs> nice, 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 nice. Awesome. I would love to talk more about titles. What are you seeing is really exciting right now? What is coming down the pike? What are you getting really great re- response from, from theaters? Um, sure. Yeah. So on the, on the non-pro side, um, one of the plays that's been really hot right now, aside from Clue, which you've talked about quite a bit, I know a lot of theaters have already done is the play that goes wrong. That's kind of the net, like if you wanna do something that's fun for the audience, but also fun for your actors, like something that they're excited to do and something that the directors are excited to direct. Really that title, it was you know, it was on Broadway, and now it's off Broadway, it was touring around. Broadway branded, it has that name recognition. It's just a fun hysterical whodunit with lots of physical, physical comedy. And we've had a great, great response to that title. And I know since it was kind of tied up with the, the tour, there's a lot of, non-pros now that we're kind of waiting for it to, to right. become unrestricted and now it has in, in most markets and so now we're we're getting a lot of uh, a lot of interest in that and there's also a one-act version of it too so if you've seen the show okay. so if you're familiar with the show mm-hmm. uh you know there's the regular show the, the main show is a two-act and there's a two-story set that falls down it can be very expensive to build and maybe you know some theaters might not have the resources to build a set that falls down may not have the, the wing space and the, the fly space to build a set that falls down. So we have a one act version now that is about 75 minutes um, and it's a one story set. So it makes it a lot easier to, to do that show, makes it more accessible, just as funny, just as fun, um, but without all of the extra tech that kind of gets involved in that. And then in terms of shows with the diverse voice, one of the shows I have seen a lot of success with and have been championing is uh, School Girls or the African Mean Girls play um, by Jocelyn Dio, which is fantastic. Such a joyous play. It has a real, has a bite to it, but is based on a true event, the imagined uh, story of a true event um, regarding a beauty pageant that took place back in the 1980s in Africa and is a fantastic story. Um, and it's really uh, one of the pieces that I love to kind of champion and get, get it out there as well. Um, and then in terms of other titles that, we, that we've really been talking about quite a bit is this concept of classics reimagined. You know, it's, it's something where there is some brand name recognition, but it's a new work. It's uh, something that you're familiar with, but with a new twist to it. And we have a great Christmas title. So for a little Christmas in the summertime for you. Um, that is called A Sherlock Carol. Um, this was off-Broadway, and now it's um, coming to licensing, and it's basically, it's two beloved classic tales, uh, Sherlock Holmes and Christmas Carol, but one thrilling new mystery. And the premise is, it's a grown-up tiny Tim asks Sherlock Holmes to investigate the death of Ebenezer Scrooge. So it's kind of mystery meets Christmas Eve, uh, haunted by the spirits of past, present, and future. So it kind of hits all the bells and whistles of Christmas mystery thriller, name brand recognition, kind of a reimagining of these classic tales. Uh, and that's one of the titles I'm really excited about. 
Well, uh, how many are, how many people are in that cast, Jen? Cast of seven. Seven. Uh, oh, that's oh, that's very appealing. Yeah. So we're yeah we're really excited about that one. Um, and yeah, and, and and kind of that idea of classics reimagined. We have a couple of those in our catalog, and we have all the Kate Hamill plays, such as Sense and Sensibility and Pride and Prejudice. Um, and those are classics rewritten and adapted for stage. We also have uh, the Book of Will by Lauren Gunderson and all of the Christmas at Pemberley uh, plays, the Wickhams, um, and also Miss Bennett. So kind of those those classics reimagined, I, I kind of love that from a marketing perspective because it's new works, but something that has that recognition for audiences, kind of the, going back to the comfort food conversation that Colleen had oh, earlier. Yeah. It's like you get that comfort, but then you also get something exciting. Oh, I'm absolutely, I mean, I, the theaters that that uh, took advantage of the Bridgerton hype and programmed Jane Austen or programmed those shows this season are are going to do very well. I think that they're riding on those coattails from from Bridgerton, and they're going to have a built-in audience. And you're absolutely right; those are the the very most exciting things that I'm looking forward to marketing uh, because there's a, a story there, right? There's a way in to tell our audiences and make them feel comfortable about, about seeing that type of, that type of theater. That's awesome. Now I have to say with the play that goes wrong, I know a lot of theaters are doing it. Uh, and um, the chat boards are, are a fire of conversations about we're going to do it. Now, how are we going to do it? <laughs> so it's it's very fun to see. Oh, I'm doing the set this way, and I'm going to try this. So it, it it's, it's definitely elicited a lot of conversation. Yeah, and that's about what execution. So that's that makes it exciting, and it also you know it was one of those COVID must sees like during the pandemic when they started rolling out the play goes wrong and all the all the iterations that we theater people we were all watching them. So yeah, and quick quick uh, correction: it's a cast oh. six. Oh, yeah. for a Sherlock Carol. So I just wanted to get that up there. Of course, a, 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 a cast of six for Sherlock. Yeah, yeah that's very appealing. I yeah, know that. Even, even better. <laughs> cast those, but they're, that, talking about um, feeling comfortable and safe, there are still theaters that the, there isn't, there is a max number of cast members just to keep um, the COVID management where it needs to be. So that is very appealing. A holiday show with six actors. That's incredible. Just to your point on, on a play that goes wrong, I mean, the exciting part of it is, I mean, obviously we want, make, we always have to make sure that our actors are safe and everyone mm -hmm. backstage, but if something doesn't work exactly the way it's supposed to in the script, the audience will never know. It's just one more thing that goes wrong. I mean, <laughs> we just rolled out the high school version of it. And my dream is to at some point have a reel of every, all these different high schools of things that may, were supposed to go right-ish, <laughs> in the conduct of the show that actually go wrong and make it even funnier. There's no way that like the audience knows which one is which is right. that like exactly door doesn't close. Okay, you just got there two pages earlier than the door wouldn't have closed on this in the script. That's awesome. That's gonna it's gonna do well. I can I have no question that's gonna be a really successful title this season and next. Yeah, the other piece that I wanted to talk about too, um, and what we're really excited about, kind of on our marquee level of, of plays, uh, is a play called Clyde's, and it's by Lynn Nottage, that unbelievable writer, two-time Pulitzer winner. The she was the first person ever this year at the Tonys to be nominated in both uh, best play and best book of a musical simultaneously. Um, she also wrote MJ, and 
I love this piece so much because it's really funny and it's silly, but it also it's taking place in a sandwich shop and every character in the play is someone who uh, has been recently incarcerated and is now rebuilding their lives. And it's talking about a group of people that we don't normally put too much attention to and uh, looking at and paying attention to and hearing their stories while also, it, you know, the hilariousness of them putting together these sandwiches and all of like the zany things about their crazy boss, Clyde, who's kind of ruining things and, you know, mushing back and forth. And it, it's a really lovely play. I mean, when they did it on Broadway, uh, it was something very important to Lynn Nodders, the playwright, to make sure that it was seen and welcoming audiences who were incarcerated or recently incarcerated. So they did a simulcast to one of the prisons here in New York. Um, because she's saying, this is who, this is who I wrote it for. This is who I'd love to get it to. And we're sort of thinking about how you expand your audiences of who comes in and who gets to see themselves on stage. And it's a lovely piece, you know, beyond the, the comedy nature of it, of watching people have these things happen in their lives. And then what do you do next? What are, what are the next steps and how do you rebuild from there? It's a really, really cool piece. So it's going to be in quite a few regional theaters this year, um, and then hopefully be pretty open on the non-professional side for for that twenty three twenty four season. Oh, fantastic! And that's a cast. That's a that's a cast of under ten as well, right? It is. It is uh, five people, I believe, nominated for best play. Tony yeah, absolutely. And that that actually made me think of something when it ran on Broadway. It really perked my ears up when they chose to, in addition to running on Broadway, they offered the live stream. And there weren't a lot, there was very few shows that actually moved in that direction where at the same time, simultaneously, they were running the show um, in the professional theater on Broadway, but they were also streaming it. And I'm just curious, are authors still entertaining for streaming rights? Or is that still a point of deep negotiation some place we have automatically that the playwrights has said absolutely go for it almost all of lauren gunderson's plays she's always like would love stream it all you want happy for it to happen um so i mean i believe to the victims on that list too of of the christmas plays too um kay hamill has many of her plays that are streamed with a lot of ones that jan was talking about before some of the brand new plays we would say just ask us if that's something that you're interested in because we would then take it to the playwrights and the authors and they usually decide case by case, but more right. often than not, we can make it happen. And a little cheat sheet on that. If you go to our website, uh, the DPS website or the play scripts in print or Broadway licensing, and it says available for streaming, that means it's available for streaming. Um, so we don't even have to get clearance. So if you're specifically looking for a title that you can stream, I know a lot of especially in the community theater market, have found that they can expand their audience by offering streaming. And it's something that some, you know, audience members with mobility issues are really looking for nowadays. Um, it's, it makes a lot more inclusivity uh, for those theaters. If you want, if you specifically want something that is available for streaming, just look for that available for streaming link um, underneath the title or, or on the page of the, of the title. And if it's not listed and you really want to do the show, just ask us, like Colleen said, we're more than happy to make the ask more than happy to to kind of make that work for theaters if possible. And I know the high that the high schools and colleges that are able to stream are doing quite well, um, given the fact that family members and such are able to actually see their productions. And streaming is still alive and well, quite a bit in, in a lot of the schools. Yeah, and for schools and 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 also for community theaters, actually, we mm -hmm. had a 
a title recently um, that uh, one of, they had to change their dates uh, for a, a production and the husband of one of the actors who was in the show got deployed. He was in the military, he's in the military and was deployed and he really wanted to see his wife perform. And so we were able to make the streaming happen uh, so that he was able to be a part of that moment and, and see her perform. Oh, well, there's a human interest story that I hope made it to the news. Okay. That's great. <laughs> That's awesome. You mentioned the website, and I'm obviously it's the very best place to be able to assess your catalog, see what's coming, what's new. Are there any other ways that we can that people can reach out to you if they have questions, or should they go through the website? How did how does that work? Website's great, or you can also email us too. Um, my email is Jennifer at BroadwayLicensing.com. Colleen is Colleen at BroadwayLicensing.com. We're more than happy to hear from uh, companies. I'm, you know, anybody who's non-pro should reach out to me. Anybody professional reach out to Colleen. But even then, we find each other. Oh, we can in other places. Exactly. <laughs> you can email us both, and we'll figure it out. Um, but you know, we, like we said earlier, we want to be the producing partners for for every theater company, um, and we want to kind of be there with you. So reach out to us directly. More than happy to have a conversation, help with season planning, answer any questions, any concerns about certain titles as well, like, you know, in terms of how to approach things for marketing and how to, you know, just what's available. We're more than happy to have that conversation. I think it's also helpful for us too to know like the feedback from from theaters of what's working, what is challenging, what is what can we help with? You know, we don't always know what we don't know. So that's what we love that dialogue happening. Um, we even have some we do shout outs on our, our social media frequently. So if you have fantastic production photos that you want to send us, we're always thrilled to get those. We frequently pass those on to the playwrights as well. Um, yeah, we, we're happy to be as part of that conversation with you. Well, that, that alone tells you that we're entering a new world of how licensing companies, writers, composers, and theaters can all work together for the common good of getting our productions in the right hands and promoted to the right people. And, and that collaboration is something that that is what really truly excites me about about companies like Broadway Out Licensing. So, ladies, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This was so inspiring and helpful. And I am going to hit you up on that next podcast because I want to talk all about your nonprofit uh, your nonprofit experiences and, and those collaborations that you're doing on that side too. Great, would love to. We're happy to be here. Thank you for inviting us, Julie. Awesome, thanks again. I just wanna thank Crawleen McCormick and Jennifer Isaacson from Broadway Licensing one more time for that fantastic talk. I really learned a lot and also get inspired every time I talk to any theater maker in this industry. Uh, it's really a special time for me. So thanks again to Jennifer and Colleen. Now there's one more thing I wanted to tell you about. On their website, if you go to broadwaylicensing.com and you go over to Dramatist Play Service, they have a link called Current Productions. So if you are preparing to do a production of a show, you should check out this link because if you find the show you're doing and it's being produced somewhere else, you can always get inspiration on their marketing, on their approach to the production. Because remember, one of my favorite books is Steal Like an Artist by Austin Kleon. And so I believe there's never an original thought. Everything is taken in and we create something new out of many things. 
Thanks again for listening, friends. And if you aren't already receiving my newsletter, make sure you head over to julianemmets.com and sign up. It's free. There's always fun things to learn and share in the newsletter. Or you could just click down on the show notes and there's a link in there and you can go right to the newsletter sign up page. Until next week, let's remember to keep theater moving forward, friends. Take care.